Okay, today my guest is Professor Ingmar Bjorkman. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with him. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Ingmar as a person, Professor Bjorkman as a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally as a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of his accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Ingmar Bjorkman is the new university president at Hanken. He received his PhD from Hanken School of Economics. He was a professor of management and organization and also served as the Dean of Research and Internationalization and uh, head of the Department of Management and Organization previously. Ingmar's uh, main research area is international management with a particular focus on people management issues in multinational corporations. He taught at a number of business schools in Europe and Asia and has received teaching awards from Udan University in Shanghai and in Seattle, Singapore. Thank you, Ingmar, for joining us. Happy to be with you. Thank you. First question, what did you want to become when you were a child? Well, I, I thought I would be uh, become an architect. I was into to building Legos and I thought, well, becoming an architect and I was reasonably good at math. So uh, the, um, the career is clear. Uh, it didn't turn out that way, though. Where did you grow up? I grew, I mean, I was born in Finland, uh, but grew up in Norway. So um, um, I had a Finnish passport, uh, Norwegian mother tongue. Uh, I spoke Swedish with my, uh, with my father. Um, so international um, already from the start, I would say. And uh, how did you choose academia? I think for many of us, this is um, a coincidence, uh, but it's not a coincidence that uh, uh, you cannot explain in some way. Um, my grandfather, um, on my fa father's side, uh, he got his PhD in the early, in 1931. Um, after having, I mean, at that point of time, he couldn't, I mean, he grew up in Finland, he was a Finn, and he had to go abroad to get his PhD because he couldn't get a PhD in his, in his area. So I think that having that kind of, of uh, example and also some kind of role model in the family may have played a role. But then it, it really had to do with uh, when I was a master's student, I was asked to serve first as a teaching assistant and, and then encouraged to apply to the PhD program. And, and the rest is history. Okay. Uh, something that is not on your CV that people might find interesting about you, like your hobbies? Well, um, what I'm, I think, even a little bit known for in, in the organizations I've worked is that I have, uh, I'm serving people espressos. So I've had an espresso <laughs> machine since, since I was first time at INSEAD as visiting professor back in the 90s. I returned to Finland and realized I can't drink the Finnish coffee. So I need to have proper coffee. So I had a, an espresso machine in the office. So still as, as a dean and as now as a rector slash president, I'm always serving people espressos. So that might be uh, something which is not on my CV. But it's very useful because if people get an espresso, they can't ask for a pay rise, can they? They got something already <laughs> out of the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Not to self. Don't drink anything uh, before a negotiation. Beautiful. Thank you. 
um, if you stopped doing what you're doing today, what would be the second best career path for you? I mean, I've been in academia all the time, and and um, I um, I was in admin uh, positions for a long time, head of department, uh, and, and so on, and then I was a dean. Um, not at my alma mater, I was uh, um, headhunted to be, become a dean at another business school, the uh, Alta University School of Business in, in Finland, and, and then went back to, to faculty uh, for two years for the first time in, in 20 years. And, uh, and now I'm back in, in admin again, and, and I, I enjoy both. So if I were not now the director, the, the president of, of the school, I will probably be a faculty member and, and ha fairly happy doing that as well. So research, academia, that is my thing, I would say. Um, Any regrets in life? I tend to be really bad at, at uh, uh, looking backwards. Um, I guess um, I'm not the, the kind of person who regrets all too much of what has happened. I mean, of course, there have been mistakes and I probably have done many stupid things, but I, I tend to look towards the future. Um, so um, um, looking forward to next summer, next fall, and so on, rather than thinking about what went wrong the last year. Beautiful. Uh, and last question in the personal segment. Uh, what are you most passionate about, other than espresso? Um, I would say my um, during the fall, I'm looking forward to having an opportunity to go um, skiing in the, in the Norwegian mountains. And during the spring, I'm looking forward to taking my dogs and perhaps partly my wife with me to go hiking in, in the mountains with a, uh, a tent. Um, so ba basically, that's, how I, that's my summer vacation when I get to that point. Um, Go into the mountains. The dogs will will carry their own food. I'll carry my food, and um, we'll wander in the wilderness and and really enjoy it. So that that to me is that's what I'm passionate about. Beautiful, thank you. So let's talk about research, but because of your uh, uh, a different perspective, you you got this unique insight. Very few people in the series is in the admin position. So I would like to ask you both as an academic, as a researcher, and also as a, uh, a, a person in the top of the food chain in this case, uh, how do you uh, explain the, how do you explain IB or your research to people who don't know you, who don't read your uh, papers or uh, academic journals in general? Why your research is important? Why IB is important? Okay, so um, I mean, my my work has been on on management issues in in M and E's, um, but uh, most of my work over the last twenty years uh, has focused on on people issues. So, how are people managed? Why are they managed in a certain way, and with what kind of consequences? And 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 obviously, it's. Uh, it's a no-brainer that organizations consist of people. Um, and um, obviously there is there's lots of work on management. There's lots of work in organizing. There's work, lots of work on human resource management or people management. And, and obviously what we know both as individuals ourselves or as uh, um, middle managers or, or leaders in organizations is that management matters. Uh, it matters for the individuals, it, there are a few things as 
frustrating as having bad superiors, um, being in organizations that are negative, um, and so on. So, and we know that it has consequences. So, so therefore, um, doesn't matter if you talk about uh, the U.S. putting a an individual on the moon in 1969, or a, a business school, uh, how that is being managed, or an NGO. These are everybody realizes that that this is um, something that has consequences for the employees, for the the owners, and for society. Earlier, when you were a dean, obviously you're talking to the business school people. They are more focused on business. But now that you're a president of the entire university, how does uh, your leadership style change to motivate people to move into uh, bigger issues, bigger questions, uh, more uh, pressing, timely uh, topics? Well, uh, obviously, um... When you start out as a superior, you you know everybody, you can work with everyone. You can influence them, you can try to inspire them, you can learn from them and so on. And, and obviously, the more you go up the food, food chain, as you put it, the more you have to work through others. Uh, you have to work through processes. Um, but at, at the same time, I think a, an important part of, of the basics is still there, how to engage people. Uh, how to engage uh, the organization in in what you are trying to do, and and uh, of course also learning by engaging them um, about things that you got a little bit wrong yourself, and and so on. So it's it's not only co-opting people or, or trying to persuade people to do what you started out with. It's it's also realizing all the times when when um, you didn't get it entirely right the first time around. So. So, um, so to me, it's it's sticking very much to the same principles of of a engagement, of um, and then I would say transparency is another thing that I I uh, come to think is is extremely important. I mean, unless you're transparent, um, how can you be believable in terms of what you're trying to do? I mean, if there are things in the drawer that you don't want to talk anyone to know about, or if a journalist would call you and, and you cannot explain every every um, major decision or practice, then you have a problem. So, so to me, that that's the very simple rule. Mm. Coming to us agreeing on things and then being transparent about it. Uh, how are things, or how have things uh, shaped up or changed uh, since you were an academic uh, doing actual research papers versus the deanship and then the presidency? How, how have things progressed in the environment in academia uh, so that what should we expect in the next five to ten years going forward? Well, obviously, what has happened over, over, over the last decades and a couple of decades, and, and perhaps I should say at this point of time that I'm based in Finland, so part of the Nordic countries, um, and there's a certain way that, that academia works here. But what, what we see taking place here is uh, a part of a uh, an institutionalization, a global institutionalization of how, how academia works. So the expectations, the on on faculty members, the uh, 
the systems, the tenure track systems have been introduced over the last decade. Uh, and all this has, has increased the, uh, I would say, the, uh, the, the pressure on, on faculty members in terms of performance and so on. But the other thing that has happened, I think, is that in, in addition to increased pressure on, on public, the publication side in, in, in particular, we have seen, obviously, a, an increased pressure, expectation on the part of universities and business schools to contribute to society. So uh, there's also a, a critique of a too narrow-minded focus on, on getting that next A-plus publication. Are you studying relevant issues? How does your research change the world? And, and so on. And obviously, if you read the, uh, the academic top journals as well, um, over the last decade or so, there is, there's been a lot of discussion about this. And, and there, there is... A movement, I would say, of, of scholars, of, of people in admin positions like myself, of accreditation bodies, looking at, at research as something that should contribute to, to the, the world be becoming a better place, not what we see today, the environment facing more and more challenges, and, and we are still not there, of course, in terms of addressing these. So, so I would say that on the one hand, you have this globalization and, and increased pressure and, and competition. And on the other hand, we've seen a broadening of um, what one looks at over and beyond research to, of course, teaching, but also societal impact and, and so on. Sorry for the long answer. No, no. Uh, complicated this issues. Is, this is great. Uh, about uh, geopolitical environment, uh, about you mentioned um, the environment, uh, climate change, obviously. Um, you talked about globalization and increased competition. What else? What else do we face in the future? So that as a president, uh, as a leader of the university, uh, you're positioning the institution differently. Obviously, if, if we could predict the future, um, uh, we would probably not be here on the call. <laughs> uh, we would be making lots of money as as consultants, but uh, but obviously I, I think uh, we will continue to see quite some volatility and and uh, uh, and for instance for universities geopolitics is is a big one. Um, for instance, I'm based in Finland, uh, just next to with the longest border with Russia in Europe. Finland just joined NATO. Um, we have lost out um, to a very large extent the Russian students that used to come across the border to study with us. Um, um, no collaboration, of course, uh, with Russian universities. Um, so, so this is a reality, international business, so to speak, uh, from the point of view of a business school uh, located in a country like this is very much geopolitical one in, in the sense that we need to be prepared for this, we need to address these issues. Um, and, and this is obviously part of our um, way to operate. And, and uh, you can add to that, um, how, do you add, uh, how do you address things like, um, obviously, um, health issues? We have COVID just came out of that. We have digitalization, we have uh, chat uh, GPT, um, we have the, the whole question of 
of of the the structural education the future obviously we don't talk as much about the uh, the MOOCs uh, being a tsunami that is just about to swallow the uh, the business schools and universities of the world, but still the educational landscape is changing. So um, I, I'm so I'm so yeah. curious about ChatGPT and your take on it. Uh, well, what's your take uh, on ChatGPT? My, it's it's a challenge above all, but perhaps also a bit of an opportunity. Um, business schools, of, of course, are in the middle of it. Um, so I, I I don't think there are many business schools that haven't faced over the last few months uh, a number of cases of, of uh, um, students perhaps utilizing this tool um, in, in a little bit too flexible way. Um, we have sort of a counter attack in terms of of trying to come up with ways to um hinder this or detect this uh we have some who really try to build it into the learning process by um, asking students to actually use chat gpt to to solve some of the issues in class and then reflecting on them critically and, and so on and, and to me it will of course we'll we don't know where we'll end up but at least for the time being it seems to me that that having a combination of, of, of these ways to, to deal with this makes sense. That is not to only see it as a problem, but also to see it as something that will be with us in the future. I just met a, um, an alumni of uh, um, our business school uh, today. And uh, this person was saying that was on the board of a, uh, um, startup, not a very small one, but actually a fa fairly uh, big one. Uh, and they had been discussing on the board the R&D strategy of the startup. And the CEO had suggested, okay, why don't we just put into chat GPT um, a little bit of our company? Uh, the answer was 12 points was what chat GPT suggested. And at the next board meeting, when they established the R&D strategy of that startup, 10 of those 12 points in one way or another were a part of that strategy. And these, I mean, the, the person who told this was a very, very experienced person uh, having worked in, in a major multinational in that area and, and very professional board and so on. So it, it indicates that, that these tools are actually going to be with us and they uh, can be very helpful but at the same time, uh, we need to obviously also have that critical perspective on, on these tools. And this is actually fascinating. Uh, my MIS colleagues uh, at the beginning of this craze, uh, they were saying, well, oh, this is the next best thing ever and everyone should incorporate it. And people like Noam Chomsky said, oh, this is the biggest uh, plagiarism ever. Uh, we should never have it in the business school or any kind of school. It kills thinking or doing anything decent. Uh, I mean, I'm just going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and if the problem posited uh, <laughs> to chat uh, GPT is generic enough, and of course, 12 points are produced and 10 are adopted, either the questions are very simple <laughs> or the, the issues are very generic. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we uh, uh, 
I go back to your earlier comment about bringing back the manager into the picture and how to manage uh, how to manage an institution, how to manage an organization or startup. Uh, maybe we're asking the wrong questions. Uh, who was the most influential person uh, for your upbringing uh, in academia? Who was your mentor? Who was your advisor? Jim March. Hmm. Um, what did you learn from him? You know, Sarta March, Martin Simon, and so on. Uh, I was a PhD student when I had the uh, fantastic opportunity. Uh, it was my supervisor in, in Finland. Sevon, who knew Jim March, and they, they also uh, co-authored a paper or two together, to go to, to Stanford as a PhD student. Young PhD student, I spent a year with him, twice actually, um, did PhD courses at Stanford, got to know a number of people at Stanford. For me, uh, it was partly Jim as a person. I mean, he taught me a number of things like um, wine before work was one of his mottos so <laughs> you need i mean not not but that the social aspect matters i mean that that was the point that you need to i mean and and that to me to me still and and throughout my whole career has been an important one that you you end up preferably doing um, work together with people that you enjoy working with that you come up uh, that you in, enjoy being together with and perhaps not uh, perhaps start with a cup of coffee start with a glass of wine start with a, a, a beer start with a meal and then gradually if if you um, get to know them you will come up with ways to work together and, and typically that will long term be um, be a good good thing but uh, I would say I mean for those who didn't know Jim March, I mean, he was an extremely humble guy, although being one of the very, very smartest people around, extremely productive, um, extremely creative in his thinking. And, and so, um, for instance, one of the things he often did um, is that he would actually try to turn things around. So what if the causality is the opposite? If it's, it's not A leading to B, it's B leading to A. Um, it's, uh, I mean, decision-making, I mean, the garbage can um, model of decision-making. So it, it's not sort of the rationality of how to optimize uh, the future expected value of something. It's the timing that matters. It's, it's a completely different logic. So it's, it's a completely different thing to make uh, or way to make sense out of what is going on in terms of decision making processes so so to me he is he he was both as an individual but also as a scholar um very influential and and obviously being exposed as a Finn uh, to a uh, to a top us university was extremely useful in itself mm. uh, you try to to, to stick to that level of ambition. And also when you have your PhD students who, who ask PhD students could submit a paper to a top journal in their field and so on. So you, you at least have to, to believe yourself that you can do it yourself as well. About, uh, now you've seen many PhD students across the globe. Uh, what are some of the common mistakes that you see across all PhD students or junior faculty uh, 
in in the profession that people usually make that you would say don't do these mistakes these are things to avoid um i, I would say at least in in the Nordic context now, there's lots of pressure on people to graduate quickly and, and get your PhD done and so on. And I, I would say, enjoy the fact that you will never have as much time, as many opportunities to learn, to think, to read as a PhD student. You will never know the, the literature right at that point of time as well. So, so enjoy that period and, and then try to be really, um, have a really high level of ambition in what you do at that 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 point of time. Afterwards, it's it's not that easy. Um, so unless you you work on something which is really interesting and you learn a lot at that stage, um, you will have a hard time later on in your career. Perhaps that that would be one. And then obviously coming back to Jim's wine before uh, work, make sure that you get to know people that you socialize that you build your social networks uh, for pleasure but also for work it's a small world and um, if you know people in your field you gradually get to know them you will have opportunities to work with people and and, and uh, that will help you later on uh, how did you network uh, you went to conferences you uh, you were introduced by your advisors to someone how did that process work for you I mean, for me, it's it. I would say that this the Stanford connection was an important one. That I, I got to know people there, uh, and then gradually starting to attend conferences. Um, and I, I was a shy, fairly introvert guy, uh, so I, for me, it wasn't. It's never been uh, sort of automatic to reach out and so on. But gradually over the years, I've learned that that's the way you you just have to. To operate, if if you are to to um, do reasonably well in in this this field, um, so yeah, conferences, workshops, um, and of course, when you attend these, as I think we all know, um, don't go to your room to prepare for the next presentation, but rather go to the bar, go to the cafeteria, uh, meet with people. Conferences are not about uh, making a, a the perfect presentation, that per perfect presentation you should prepare before you go there. Hmm. And it, it doesn't matter if it's 100%, as long as you get to know people, you chat with people and, and so on. That's that's more important. That's very helpful, actually. Last question. What's the question that I should have asked you about Evan? I think we actually got to talk about... Uh, um, things that that at least for me have, have been important ones um so yeah i think that this was uh, um i mean you could have asked me so why do you go into admin oh, why, why do you why take you because and that, that's an interesting one because uh, for for those who eventually possibly might might watch this one or listen to this one um a, a typical answer i got myself when becoming a dean and now in my current position is why do you do that it's, but at the same time, I have to say that these are, are at least for me, things that you, 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 you typically don't apply for these positions. You, you end up in these positions. So as long as you do reasonably well um, in 
admin positions at different levels, you will end up here. Um, and then I think it's also a question of, of uh, enjoying it, or enjoying the fact that you're working with others um, and hopefully then, then uh, uh, doing something out of it, making a little bit of your contribution to this world this way. Um, I've written a few papers, but I, I, uh, I still think that um, I'm made more of a difference uh, in in admin positions and even as as a, as a teacher in the classroom than through my own academic work. So um, I I would encourage those who um, can imagine this kind of of uh, path to try it out and and then uh, uh, if you enjoy it, um, why don't you take the next step? When, when you're asked, because you will be asked. You don't need to apply. The market works. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, Ingmar, thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed thank it. You. I learned a lot. I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. I'll see you perhaps at one of these conferences. Hopefully we'll get or coffee. Or in the bar. Definitely in the bar. <laughs>